Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10, the armour of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put the full armour of God, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, you stand, stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the, uh, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that, I'm, uh, that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. So far. Thanks, David. Uh, please keep your Bibles handy. We're going to be working our way through those verses quite closely. Thank you. Uh, it will be to your benefit if you can follow along with us as we do so. There's handouts. Uh, if you didn't get one at the door, there should be some in the foyer still. If you'd like to take notes and or follow along, those will give you a guide to do so. Now, I like to have uh, a clean house. Uh, I like our house to be tidy, uh, to be neat when possible. Uh, Don't take this as me trying to make your house clean. If I go to your house and it's not clean, that is the last thing I'm thinking about. Don't worry. That's okay. Keep your house how you like it. Uh, But when I like to go home, I like our house to be clean. Uh, I like it to be neat. I like everything to be in its place. That helps me to relax. Now, it's not just, don't get me wrong here, it's not just that I want that but won't do anything about it. Don't worry, ladies, I'm glad to make that happen. Uh, I will tidy our house, I will clean, I will do dishes, I will fold clothes, I will even do vacuuming, which is perhaps the most awful and cursed job in the house. I'll do it, I'm happy to, mostly. But despite our efforts, our house is never clean. It's amazing. Uh, It's almost as if there is a mysterious force that lives in our house preventing it from ever being clean. Uh, This force that just leaves chaos in its wake. It's amazing. You know, you feel you've got on top of it. You feel like everything's in its place, things are looking good and you move a curtain and there's a mouldy cracker just sitting there left as a surprise. You open a cupboard and it is a disaster zone inside. Or you crack open the garage and it looks like a horde of possums has been moving around in there. The force has won again. We've been defeated. That force, of course, you'll probably guessed, 
is young children. It's not myself, it's not Melinda. It's young children. They're a mysterious force that leaves chaos in its wake. As much as we strive for a clean and tidy house, children strive for the very opposite. It's amazing. I don't, look, is it deliberate? I don't know. Uh, but it's very effective. It couldn't be more effective even if they tried. Because of children, the, the goal of having a clean house is forever out of reach. We're never going to get there at least until they move out and then we'll find other reasons not to. We just can't get there. There's there's opposition. We can't make it happen. Now, I hope that you'll agree with me, uh, if you've been here over the past weeks, that as we've worked through the book of Ephesians, we've had this, this picture painted for us, a beautiful picture, an amazing picture of what the Christian life is and what it can be. A wonderful picture. But perhaps you're feeling a bit like me and realising that our lives don't look much like that. Certainly not as much as we would like. We've got this beautiful image painted but we kind of struggle down here, you know, on a day-to-day. Well, there's a few reasons for that. Paul's explained some of them. But he gives us another one today. One of the reasons why we struggle, one of the reasons why we never quite get there as much as we'd like is that there is a force actively opposing us. There is a force that is scheming against us and interfering with us. Now that sounds terrifying, but this morning and in this passage, we're given the tools not only to resist that force, but even to overcome it. So that's what we're going to be looking at together this morning. When we jump into this passage, we see essentially Paul peeling back the curtain for us and, and giving us a glimpse at this whole other world that's out there. You know, it's like that, that moment in Narnia when the, the children step through the, the wardrobe and realise there's a whole other existence that, that, that's right there in front of them, a whole other world that's, that's beautiful and mysterious and, and, and magical. Except that here, the world that Paul reveals to us is dark and it's hostile and it's dangerous. Look at verses 12 and 13. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. See, we are in a fight, all of us. Uh, When you become a Christian, you step into a battle. There's no throwing up of your hands uh, saying, I'm neutral, I'm not not in it. It's for all of us. We, We automatically become part of that battle. But that fight is not a physical fight. It's not against flesh or blood. This fight, this battle is spiritual. It's against rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces. Uh, That's not Paul giving us, you know, a demonic classification system. It's just him simply describing who we're up against. Their forces, their powers, they're strong, they're numerous and they are united against us. What's more, we live in their realm. Uh, Paul calls this world this dark world. 
We saw in uh, a few weeks back in Ephesians chapter 2 that this world is the place where they rule. They're, they're kind of in charge. Not completely, God is still in charge, but they're here doing, trying to do what they want. Now that doesn't mean they're over us, they're not in charge of Christians, because Ephesians 2 also told us that Jesus has rescued us. He's brought us out of their power and dominion and now we're his. But we still live in the realm of their influence. When do we face this struggle? Well, Paul says on this evil day in verse 13, it's a bit ambiguous, uh, the word that he uses there. It could mean today as in now. Uh, It could mean a day to come. I think he's actually trying to say both. He's saying this struggle is now. It is here, it is today and it will be tomorrow and the next day. It will continue, it's ongoing. We are in a spiritual battle. It is against strong spiritual beings who are hostile against us and that struggle will continue until the end of time. Why does Paul tell us that? Is it simply to make us... uh, terrified to to fear these these stories of terrible plotting spiritual beings who are violently opposed to us? Why does he tell us? Why do we need to know this? Well, it's simple. We need to know our enemy. Uh, Sun Tzu, the, the Chinese military genius from hundreds of years ago, he said the key to victory was knowing your enemy. Know your enemy because then you know how to fight, you know how to win. Know your enemy. Back when I lived at home still uh, with my parents, uh, one of my cousins uh, moved into a house a couple of doors down the street, just two doors away. She moved in with three of her friends. It's great value, nice having them nearby. They were good uh, friends. But these girls weren't the most practical of girls. Uh, Look, I'm not very practical, I'm willing to admit that. These girls were worse. Uh, It was almost every week we got a call, come and uh, help us out, fix this, can you sort this out for us, and so on. A wide range of things. But one night, relatively late, one night the phone call came, and this time the phone call was panicked. There's a spider in the house. Can you come and sort it out? Now, I'm not a fan of spiders, I, I really don't like them. But there are times where you need to suck it up and be a man and so I walked across to their house and I met at their front door all four of them standing there, panicked uh, and worried. One handed me a can of hairspray. Look, I don't know, maybe they couldn't buy fly spray, I don't know, and thought it would stand in. The other handed me a baseball bat. (laughs) Getting a little worried by this, what sort of spider is this? Uh, And they said, it's in the kitchen. Just, you know, can you go and hit it with the bat? Okay, that's, that's pretty heavy-handed. Uh, but I walked into the kitchen and there was no spider in view. I said, well, where is it? It's in the glass cabinet. You know, the, the glass-fronted glass cabinet full of glassware. Just hit it with the bat. <laughs> like I said, not the most practical of girls. I don't know what they expected me to do with the bat. I can't remember how I dealt with the spider. I know I didn't use the bat. I don't think I used the hairspray either. I'm not sure how I would have used the hairspray. But see, the thing is, you need to know your enemy. Yes, spiders are your enemy. Just be clear in that. You need to know your enemy in order to be able to deal with them. 
You need to know where to confront them, how to fight them, what to expect in doing so. Uh, If you get that wrong, you're going to be like bringing a baseball bat to a glassware cabinet. It's going to end messy. It's not going to work out. We need to know our enemy. We need to understand that our enemy is spiritual and that our battle against him is also spiritual. Now it's true, that enemy uses physical means. He uses people and places and things and technologies but those things aren't the fight. He is the fight. It's a spiritual battle. Uh, for, take, take this week, for example. We, we've seen you know, Dark Mofo winding up. We've seen the upside-down crosses and the, the, the fuss they've caused all across the media from all corners. Is Mona our enemy? <laughs> is David Walsh uh, our opposition? Is it the artist? Well, no, of course not. That installation means nothing. It's simply some metal with some lights put up on a, a stick. It means nothing. It's there to provoke us. That's all. And it only works if we react. If you want to hear some really good words about it, uh, look up Mikey Lynch's comments. Uh, he was on ABC. He's written, uh, was quoted in an article by Eternity. Uh, he gives some really good stuff. Mikey Lynch, look it up. I mean, we should be sad. We should be sad when we see uh, the cross used like that because what it tells us is that people are so ignorant of what it means and so ignorant that it's, yes, a sign of shame but also a symbol of such hope and glory. We should be sad, but we shouldn't arc up because that's not our battle. That's not what we're fighting against. That's not our enemy. Actually, it's an opportunity. What an opportunity to talk about what the cross really is. They've handed us a great tool, haven't they? See, those things, people, places, technologies, they're not our enemies. There's still a chance to redeem those things, to to shed light on them. Our true battle, our true enemy is spiritual. Now for the Ephesians, all this talk of spiritual powers and things, uh, it's very run-of-the-mill for them. You might remember a couple of months ago we opened up this letter and we saw that the, the, the town of Ephesus was one that was saturated in all these different religions. Uh, we would call it an occult-filled town. So for them this is very normal. For us it's a bit odd, isn't it? I mean, we live in a, a scientific, a material world. of we, we believe in things we can see and touch. This is hard for us. But we need to overcome that. We need to overcome that reaction. We need to understand that there is more to this world than what we can see, than what we can touch. There is a spiritual realm. There is a battle raging. There is a spiritual adversary. And he plans and plots against us. It's been said before uh, that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing us he doesn't exist. Well, he does. He's real. And we need to be aware of that. There are wrong ways to react to that news, uh, both under and over-emphasising it are equally problematic. If we under-emphasise the the spiritual battle, we end up fighting the wrong things. We we fight the material, not the spiritual, and we end up doing more damage than good. But equally, if we over-emphasise all of this, we fall into a trap. You know, it becomes all about this. You know, demons under every doily, exorcisms and all that sort of biz. And we forget that we're actually called to godliness. We're actually called 
to Jesus' mission. And those things fall by the wayside. See, neither of those extremes is helpful to us. We just simply have to be realistic. Not fearful, but simply understand we fight in a spiritual battle against spiritual forces. We have an enemy. He is real. He is powerful. He wants to trip us up. He wants to shipwreck our faith. He wants to stop us from doing the work Jesus has given us. He is our real enemy. So what do we do? How do we fight a spiritual battle? Well, it's simple. We trust and we take up. First of all, we trust. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Trust in the strength of God. And we heard it in the kids' talk, didn't we? His incredible, mighty, wonderful strength. Uh, We we get a a beautiful description of that strength at the end of Ephesians 1. That strength is resurrecting, death-defeating, exalting, glorifying, victorious. That strength is ours. (laughs) Strength that's already won the war even though the battle continues to rage around us. Trust in that wonderful strength and take up. Take up your armour. Look at verses 14 through 17. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take up your armour. Take up your weapons. Put them on and put them to use. But what does that mean? I mean, we, we read simply what it says, but it's always stumping. What does that actually look like? I put my belt on in the morning, but how do you buckle truth around your waist? What what does that actually mean? How do you do that? Well, there's clues here, isn't there? First of all, this armour is God's. We need to understand that. It's God's armour. That's why we read from uh, Isaiah at the start of the service and at the Lord's Supper as well, uh, because it reminds us that God is this divine warrior. God is the one dressed in the armour who's fought for us. And you might have noticed that the language here echoes Isaiah almost perfectly. It's the same armour with a few minor differences. Now that's not saying we fight in God's armour. That's not the point here. What Paul's telling us is we continue the same fight. We're in the same battle. And the good thing is we fight in him, in his strength who's already fought and won for us. The armour is God's. The armour is God's gift to us. I mean, probably when we read armour, you you picture what I picture, you know, the medieval knight dressed head to toe in big plate steel. But did you know, I I found this out just the other day, did you know that being a knight was a rich man's business? Because you had to buy your own armour. You had to pay to repair it. So only the very elite could actually afford to do so. Well, not us. We don't have to buy this armour. We don't have to go and make it or provide it somehow. God gives it to us. It's his gift. It's free. All that we need for this fight is given. But what's more, this armour is good. This armour is good. Now, I don't have uh, many tools of my own at home. I actually have hardly any. 
They take up one shelf, <laughs> which is a bit sad. Uh, and the few tools that I do own, they're cheap uh, and they're shoddy. Some of you will remember the hammer I brought in for a kid's talk a while ago, my super cheap auto hammer, which was bent. <laughs> That's pretty representative of my toolkit. <laughs> but see, there's a point there. There's a point behind all that. When I do a terrible job as a home handyman, which I inevitably do because I have no practical skills, uh, when, when I make a mess of it, I can stop and throw my hands up and say, look, a workman's only as good as his tools. And it's true. A workman's only as good as his tools. Coincidentally, that's why I need a new fly rod. But a workman is only... <laughs> a workman is only as good as his tools. And that is good news. That is great news for us. Because what we're told here is that God has given us great tools. Our tools, our armour is excellent. It is divinely crafted. It is spiritually powerful. It is perfect for this task at hand. And we already have it. It's, it's not on back order. Uh, it's not in the post waiting to arrive. This armour is ours. It's given to us already. All we have to do is pick it up and use it. When the devil's lies make us question ourselves, remember what Paul's told us in 4.21. The truth is in Jesus. Take that. Hold it firmly. When guilt weighs heavy on us, when we question our worthiness, remember we've been given a new, perfectly righteous self in God. Our strong breastplate. When conflict rages, internal, external, remember 2.14. He himself is our peace. And tie those shoes tightly. When doubts bite and gnaw against us, remember faith saves. Faith gives us confidence. Chapter 2, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 12. Hold that shield high. When sin is in our face accusing and attacking, remember chapter 2, verse 8. By grace you have been saved. That's your sure helmet. When deceit, when false teaching confuse, remember we have been given the sure and washing word, our sword to cut down every false teaching, every lie. See, this fight requires nothing that we don't already have. We've been given it all, all that we need. What do you need to fight? You just need the gospel. That's what this is all about, isn't it? This armour is all about the gospel. That, that gospel of good news, of the truth of new life, of peace with God in Christ, received through grace by faith, that is our security against any attack. That is our strong armour. None of the devil's attacks can beat that. None of them can, can overcome it. They can't argue with that armour. Uh, remember Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress. What's, what's that, that, that line in it? That little word that felled him. That's the gospel. That's our armour. It's already won and it's yours. It's yours to stand firm in. The gospel, it's, it's precious truths, it's assurances. They are your weapons for this fight. They are all you need to resist every attack, to take on anything that comes at you. Wield the gospel and stand firm. When attacks come, when uncertainty strike you, Go back to the gospel and you will find there everything you need. Speak it to yourself. Teach it to yourself. Remind yourself of it. This battle is now, it is for the rest of your life and so grab this gospel and hold it close. 
and you will stand unshaken in it. Christ is one, sin is destroyed, death is defeated, so stand in him and in his gospel and nothing will shake you. But our armour is about more than just defence. It is about standing firm, but it is also about taking the fight to the enemy. Look at verses 18 to 20. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Here we have our strategy, our plan for the fight, and it's simple. It's all prayer. Prayer at all times, prayer of all types, prayer in all perseverance, prayer for all the saints. It is all prayer. It's prayer in the spirit. Uh, that doesn't mean mystical or special technique that you learn when you become like a level 20 Christian. It simply means prayer in the truth that the spirit loves. Uh, in the truth that the Spirit teaches, prayer according to God's word, according to his priorities and will. It's prayer for all things, as Paul uh, mentions, but it is prayer especially for mission. Paul speaks here of his own need for prayer. Uh, it's his work to be an ambassador of the gospel. He says elsewhere it's also our work to be an ambassador of the gospel. But Paul's an ambassador in chains. Uh, at the very moment of writing this letter, he's probably chained next to, or if not to, uh, a Roman soldier. And so he says, keep praying for the spread of the gospel because it's meeting opposition. Paul's an example of that. And yet keep praying because in and through and even despite that, pray for that the gospel would go forth even more. Prayer is our strategy. Pray that the gospel would spread because God answers that prayer. And every time he does, the devil loses ground. Those who used to be his become God's own soldiers against him. Prayer is our strategy, our offence. It is taking the fight to the enemy. Yeah, it's a simple strategy, but it's effective because God answers prayer. I reckon some of the best sport you can ever find to watch, you won't find it on TV, uh, you'll find it at your local oval or sports ground. Uh, kick, six-a-side soccer. Uh, okay, not good for the skills on display, uh, not good for the, 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 the quality of the game, but very good for entertainment. <laughs> you get a bunch of little kids, six to 12-year-old, whatever the age is now, uh, running around in this happy chaos, <laughs> this, this knot of players moving together around the field, chasing the ball wherever it happens to go. It's a very simple game. Kick the ball our way, roughly, if you can. Just kick it if not. There's no positions, there's no tactics, there's no passing, or if it is, it's accidental. Just kick it, all together, all the one way, a simple game. That's our strategy, isn't it? A simple strategy, prayer, all together, all one way. Simple, but effective. More effective than six aside. Pray. Pray that we would resist the devil's attacks. 
Prayer for strength to keep standing firm. Prayer that the gospel would be strong in us, that we would grow in it and stand firm upon it. Prayer especially for mission, for evangelism, here in our church, here in our community, in the whole of the world. That we would not just resist, but that we would overcome. Prayer for help, that we would be bold and fearless to share the gospel at work, at home, at our school, on the streets, wherever it might be. That we would speak these simple and wonderful words of the mystery of the gospel, God's eternal plan in Jesus, life through him. Praying for ourselves, praying for each other, praying for those on the front lines around the world, throughout our country. We need to make prayer a habit. I know we we, kind of hear the word habit and we think, well, that's mechanical, that's unnatural, that's got nothing to do with prayer, but it's opposite. Prayer is good, a habit is good. And when we persist in it, we'll find it becomes natural. Make it a habit to, to, to say arrow prayers, whatever you want to call them, throughout the day. Just simple one-liners. Lord, help me be a witness in this meeting. Lord, help me speak truth to this friend. Thank you for your gospel. May your love overflow from me. And so forth. Fill our day with prayer. Pray in-depth prayers. When you wake up, don't grab your phone and start scrolling through. Pray. Give it five minutes. It can wait. When you go to bed, don't let social media be the last thing that your eyes see. Pray. Bracket your day with prayer. But what's more, fill it with prayer too. Prayer for all things, for all perseverance. It's it's hard work. We need to pray for perseverance. Prayer for all the saints. But prayer especially that more would come to know Jesus. Pray at your meals. Pray at church before, during, after. Pray at work, pray at your Bible study, pray with your kids, pray with your grandkids, pray with your friends, pray for each other. Pray for each other by name. Use the prayer calendar. Pray for me, pray for our elders, for our deacons. We pray for you, that's our job. Help us out by praying for us. Pray for your connect group. Pray that all of us would stand firm in the gospel, that we would speak it fearlessly wherever we go. Pray in weird places. Some of my most memorable prayer times have been in the strangest of spots. Uh, A friend praying whilst I drove them home. I got special permission to keep my eyes open for that one. Uh, Praying in the middle of a busy street in Melbourne with a friend who had a a particular need. Praying at Hungry Jack's over a Whopper meal. Just pray. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't have to be in this super spiritual secret place. Just pray. Pray and resist the devil. Pray and stand firm in the gospel. Pray that the gospel would go forth in and through us. Stand firm in the fight. Know what Jesus promised us, that the gates of Hades themselves will not prevail against the church. We will storm them, we will batter them down and we will liberate those who are held captive there. Stand firm in the fight and pray. Remember what Jesus has has done for us. He has tied up the strong man, the devil, And now is the time we get to go in and plunder his house and save the souls who are kept in his dominion. God is gathering all things to himself in Jesus. That's what Ephesians is all about. The war is won, the battle rages and we will not be overcome. We will stand in the gospel. We will stand in his victory. We will stand in his strength. We will say no to the devil and we will overcome in Christ. So let's pray.
Father, help us not to be afraid for the fight that we're in. Help us not to be afraid as we consider our enemy and his strength. But instead, help us to be bold and confident in you, in your strength, in the gospel you have given us. Father, help us to trust in you. Trust and be firm through this struggle, established in truth and righteousness, in peace and faith, in salvation, in all these things you have given us in Jesus. Father, help us to be constant in prayer. Prayer for ourselves, but prayer especially for the spread of the gospel. Father, may your word go out powerfully here in Alveston. May it batter down the gates of Hades. May it plunder the strong man's house. And may it win a rich harvest of souls to new life for your glory. Father, in your grace, may it happen through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.